Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening. It is Ephesians chapter 5, where my Bible is opened up. We're going to notice one little verse here in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, that will uh, undergird really everything that we're going to talk about tonight from the Word of God, as we do just a little bit of Q&A for the month of September. Lots of times when we're doing Q&A, I will... Uh, compile uh, kind of together lots of smaller questions that I'll try to package them around a, a particular uh, topic or a theme. But tonight I've really just got one question that has been submitted to me in a, a variety of different ways and different forms. And it is a question that gets asked just an awful lot. And it does always seem to engender some level of controversy amongst Christians. And it is this question about gambling. What does the Bible say about gambling? Can Christians be involved in gambling? And if not, why not? Now I'm going to tell you tonight, I cannot promise you that this lesson is going to address and answer every conceivable question that you might have about gambling. But I do believe that we will offer some answers and some principles tonight from the Word of God that I really think will be applicable just right across the board. And this may actually may actually end up provoking kind of some follow-up Q&A about gambling, and that'll be all right. But I hope you've had a good afternoon. Glad that you're here this evening. We've got visitors with us once again, and we're so appreciative of your presence. I hope you're ready to spend these few minutes together in the Word of God. In Ephesians chapter 5, let's just get right to it. I'm reading here in verse number 10. In Ephesians 5 and in verse 10, there Paul says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's really an important passage for us to begin with. Because if I had asked you tonight to open up your Bible to a passage where God gives His explicit will about the subject of gambling... Well, what happened is, is we'd all be sitting with Bibles closed. Because there is no such passage where God gives His explicit will about gambling. And because of that lack of clearly defined legislation in God's Word, the subject of gambling has been the source of lots of questions. It has produced a great deal of uncertainty and controversy and difficulty even amongst the people of God. In fact, I believe that finding perfect unity on all things gambling, I believe that not only is that difficult, I think it might just be, it just might be impossible. Because in the absence of a clear thou shalt or thou shalt not, what we are left with are principles. Very, very potent principles, but principles nonetheless that lend themselves to at least some measure of subjectivity. And that's sometimes where we start to have some differences of opinion and differences of thinking. And that probably, I think, is really best illustrated by this questionnaire that I had and I asked you to fill out. And to my surprise, many people did take the time to fill one of these out. And I appreciate that. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. For those of you who are not here this morning, didn't get a chance uh, to do this. What I did is I asked folks that if they would, to grab one of these cards. And if they would look at it, at just some kind of general questions, very simple questions, about various forms of gambling. And what I wanted to know is I wanted to know, with each of these five things, is I wanted to know, do you consider this sinful? Do you consider this lawful? Or is this something that's kind of questionable in your mind? So either it's bad, or it's good, or I'm just not really sure. And the categories that I asked about were the following. First of all, I asked about playing roulette in a casino. That's sinful? 
Is that lawful? Is that kind of one of those questionable things? And secondly, about purchasing a, a Kentucky lottery ticket, a Powerball ticket, go down to the gas station and get a lottery ticket of some kind. How do you feel about that? Where's that on the scale? I asked as well about going and maybe buying a, a raffle ticket for like a little league or one of these sports leagues. What about that? What about raffle tickets? I asked as well about wagering $2 a hole playing golf with just a bunch of your buddies, just a bunch of your friends. And the last one on the list was asked about, about investing in a company like Apple or some other kind of investment opportunity. Now, I've got all of these compiled here, and while I'm not going to give the specific details of what everybody put on these, do you want to know what the end result was of this little questionnaire? What I found was exactly what I suspected all along. And that is that just about everybody's answers were different. With the exception of just a very few, almost every single one of them, I think it was like nearly 30 or 30-something, nearly every single one of these was different. Which simply says to me, it says to me that we have lots of varying ideas, varying understandings about gambling. And what I want us to do this evening is I want us to do exactly what we just read right there in Ephesians 5 verse 10. I want us to come together to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's our goal, isn't it? We want to figure out what is acceptable to God. We want to figure out what God's will is on any subject, specifically tonight, what is God's will about gambling. And as I said a moment ago, what we're going to have to use in the absence of a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, is we're going to have to utilize the broad principles of Scripture to try and discern that will. There is only so much that we can know about this, but I want to tell you tonight that what we can know... We know. What we are able to know, we can know with certainty. And my hope is that by the end of this study tonight, that even if we don't necessarily have perfect unity on all of those things and maybe others that we can add to that list, what I'm hoping is I'm hoping that most of those things on that list will come into much clearer focus and it will then bring us all into closer alignment, not just with one another, but in closer alignment with God's will Maybe more so by the end than the way it was when we first started. Now, before we start to look at these various principles this evening that has to govern our thinking on gambling, we probably need to just start by defining what exactly we're talking about. What exactly is gambling? Well, as I said at the outset, you're not going to find that word in your Bible. You're not going to find some definition in the Bible about gambling. But I think we all kind of know what it means. And so what I did is I just went to a dictionary and just got a definition. And actually the dictionary I consulted offered two different definitions. The first one was this, gambling. To play games of chance for money or for some other stakes. Now, I think if you knew that I was going to be preaching on gambling tonight, I think that you probably would have guessed that's what we're talking about. That that is what we're speaking of this evening. To engage in some sort of a of a game, whether it's a poker game or a roulette game or a lottery game, where there is chance involved and money or something else is at stake in that game. Now, that is the very specific definition of gambling. There is also a more general, more generic definition of gambling. And that was the second one, gambling. To take a risky action in hopes of a desired result. Taking a gamble. Taking a risk on something. 
Now you might be wondering, why am I showing you that second definition? If we're trying to work with that first definition, why are we talking about that second definition? Well, I'm showing you that second definition so that you understand that not everything that people might describe as gambling, not everything that is gambling is sin. If somebody were to say, you know what, all gambling is sin, you know what I'm probably going to say in response? I'm going to say, are you married? All gambling is sin. Are you married? Because marriage is a gamble. By definition, there's a risk involved there. There's a chance. We're taking a chance when we marry someone. Starting a business is taking a chance, taking a risk. Moving your family from one city to a completely new city to start a new job, that's taking a risk. Driving down Highway 27, that's a risk. That's a gamble. In that sense, we're gambling all the time. We are gambling. We are risking our our lives. We're risking our means. We're risking our relationships all of the time, every single day. In fact, many of those kinds of things that I just mentioned there, many of those things are much, much bigger risks than going down to the convenience store and buying a lottery ticket. You ask, for example, Josh Harris. Ask him if moving here to a new state and starting a brand new business from the ground up, ask him if that was a risk. That was a huge risk to take. And the reason I'm pointing all of that out is to make very clear in our minds that the amount of risk involved, that is not what determines whether or not gambling is sinful. That generic definition there of gambling, that's not what we're talking about tonight. What we're talking about is that first one there. We're talking about that specific idea of playing games of chance where money and prizes are are offered and being wagered and all of that. And what we want to know, I hope the reason you're here, if you came for this sermon, what we want to know is we want to know, when is gambling a sin? According to the principles of God's Word, when would gambling be sinful? Now, I want to just say, first of all, that if you are asking that question, if you have ever asked that question, I think that says a lot about you. I think that speaks well of you. The fact that you would just ask that question... Says something about where your heart is. That you do want to know what is pleasing to the Lord. That, that, that alone tells me that you are on the right track. If you do want to know, the good news is, you can know. It's really not all that difficult. We can figure out what the will of the Lord is on this thing. And so then this evening, let me share with you three very basic biblical principles that I believe absolutely must be taken into consideration. And if any of these three principles are violated, then my friend, I'm going to suggest you had better not do it. Principle number one, gambling is sinful if it violates the law of love your neighbor. Look at Matthew, the 22nd chapter, please. In Matthew chapter 27... When Jesus was asked about those great commandments, what is the greatest of the commands, Lord? How did He answer there? Well, you remember how the Lord answered there. In Matthew chapter 22, begin with me in verse 37. Jesus answered by saying, Matthew 22 verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Then verse 39, And a second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. We cannot, 
cannot violate the law, the principle of loving our neighbor. It doesn't matter how entertaining something might be. If it hurts my neighbor, then that's not for me. If it directly has a negative effect on other people, that's not for me. Even if it ends up in a good result for me, but it demands a poor result for my neighbor, that is not something I should be involved in. That is not Christ-like at all. In fact, that command to love your neighbor as yourself, that's not the only time that's mentioned. That's mentioned repeatedly throughout the New Testament. You read in Romans and Galatians and James, it's continued over and over again. If you wouldn't want it to happen to you, then don't go doing it to your neighbor. As Paul would write in Romans the 13th chapter and in verse 10, he says there, love does no wrong to a neighbor. That's pretty straightforward stuff. I believe that that principle is just about as simple and straightforward as can be. And so you might be asking, how in the world might gambling violate that simple law of loving your neighbor? Well, let's think about gambling. Let's think about that gaming gambling kind of stuff. The lottery, I think that's probably maybe the most obvious example of this. When that Powerball gets really high, the jackpot gets really big, I think here just a week or two ago it got up to hundreds of millions, $700 million or something. Let me ask you, where do you think all that money came from? You know, you went down to Speedway and you spent $10 on a Powerball ticket and let's just say that you happened to win. You were the winner of the $700 million jackpot. Where do you think that money came from? Do you think there's just some magical fairy somewhere that just creates this Powerball money for everyone? No! Where'd that money come from? That money came out of the pocket of hundreds of thousands of other people. That money came out of the pocket of your neighbors. In fact, usually it is the very people in our society who cannot afford to lose that money. Gaming, gambling, really just kind of by its very definition... It demands other people's loss in order for you to gain. In fact, just the way that the lottery and the slot machines and the roulette table and the bingo hall, the way that they're all designed to work, it demands not just the loss of one person, this person, it demands the loss of everyone. All of my neighbors have to lose in order for me to win, in order for me to gain. And so in most of those kinds of gaming, gambling, it's just kind of built into the system that everybody else has to lose in order for one person to gain. So what I have to do is I have to then take from my neighbor something that he really didn't even want to give up in the first place so that I can then walk away as the big winner. Folks, I I, I don't know how you see that, but in my estimation, that's a problem. That's not loving my neighbor as myself. Somebody would maybe then ask, well... Well, how is that? You're talking about like the lottery and that sort of thing. How is that any different from that example you used there on the car, Josh? How is that any different from, say, buying stock in Apple or in some other company? Well, I believe it is very, very different. Think about this. If ten men bet a $100 a piece on a horse race, and one guy's horse wins, and all the other guy's horses, they all lose... And that guy then walks away with $1,000 in his pocket. What do the other guys walk away with? Those other nine guys, they walk away with nothing. But if those same ten men, if they all go and they invest in a company, Apple or whatever it might be, everybody's going in and they're all investing $100 a piece, and that company then does well, it's profitable, who gains? 
Who wins in that scenario? Everybody does. Everybody's a winner. And who loses in that scenario? No one is a loser, at least not directly. If you go and invest some money in Apple or Google or whatever it might be, and that company is successful, then as the old phrase goes, all the boats rise with the rising tide. And so in gaming gambling, we have something really quite different. People have to get hurt. And yes, they voluntarily submit themselves to that pain. That didn't make it right. But everybody has to hurt in order for me, for one person, in order to gain. And I'm not going, I thought about I could have stood up here really all night long and regaled you with all kinds of statistics and information about the damage that gambling does to communities. You know, the Kentucky Lottery is always really quick to promote all the great things that come from gambling. Look at all the money that goes to our schools. Look at the great roads that we give. When people talk about the roads, I'm like, which ones? I don't think that's really working out here. But everybody's talking about here's all the great things that come from gambling. And what doesn't get advertised and promoted are all the negative things that come from gambling. The damage it does to families and to communities. Go home this evening and fire up your Google machine and type this in. And look, and what you'll find is that addiction and depression and crime and divorce and suicide and poverty, all of those things increase exponentially as a result of gambling, of the gaming gambling. Most types of gaming gambling, I believe, I believe they fit that description. They cause terrible effects on people and communities. And why? Because people aren't loving their neighbors the way that they're supposed to. But hey, at least I got to win something. At least I walked away as the big winner. I'll just be very frank with you. People had, there were some people that did have some questions about about the playing the roulette in the casino or purchasing a Powerball ticket, playing the lottery kind of thing. I'll just be very frank with you. Those things are not according to the will of God. Because they so blatantly violate, they blatantly oppose the teaching of Scripture that we are to love our neighbors. Takes all kinds of other people to get hurt in order for me to get what I want. That's not God's plan. That is not God's desire for how I should go about acquiring Gain, which really leads quite nicely into principle number two, and that is that gambling is sinful if it disregards God's authorized methods for financial gain. Now, I sure don't want anybody to think that I'm up here trying to preach the, the health and wealth gospel, but I do believe that there is a sense in which God is happy, God takes delight whenever we are able to, to prosper in a financial sort of way, provided that we are acquiring those finances and those means, that money, provided we're acquiring it all in the right way. We've already seen from principle number one that there is a wrong way to acquire wealth. If it's at the expense of others, if it's at the expense of my neighbor, I need to stay away from that. So somebody might ask, well, what is the right way or ways of acquiring money and possessions according to the Bible? Well, there are actually several means that I believe the Scripture authorizes. Look, first of all, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul here, he, he talks about himself a little bit and then kind of parlays that into to making kind of a more general uh, point. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, look in verse number 8. In 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 8, Paul says, We did not eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we work night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 10 now. 
For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. What is Paul describing there? What Paul is describing there is he's describing the very concept of service being rendered to someone in return for wages. What do we call that? We call that work. That is, you use your abilities, you use your skills to work, to labor for someone in exchange for payment. You earn your pay. In fact, did you notice there in verse 8 that Paul says, I I, I don't want to be taking anything from anybody without earning it. We don't want to be a burden to people. And so what I've decided to do is I and the people that are with me, we're going to render this service and then you provide wages or you take care of us in return. And guess what? Everybody comes out ahead in that scenario. Everybody everybody gains from that. I'm rendering this service and and that's going to benefit you and then you're going to take care of my needs and that's going to take care of me. That is probably the most obvious means of financial gain. I'm looking around the audience. I'm seeing a lot of working people or people that have been working people uh, in the past and are now retired. We work in order to, to gain. Furthermore, maybe kind of closely connected, there is the idea of the exchange of goods for gain. It is very similar to that first one there, but I kind of was thinking about someone along the lines of like Lydia in Acts the 16th chapter. Remember Lydia? She was a seller of purple. She sold those goods, that purple, those, those, those fabrics and so forth. She sold that at a certain price. And that exchange that then took place there, that transaction, it was based upon equity. Nobody loses in that circumstance. That person gets the goods and she then gets the finances that she needs to eat and provide for her family. Again, that's a scenario where everybody in the situation is profiting and nobody is walking away a loser. Maybe kind of an offshoot of that one as well would be the idea of, of operating a business. In James chapter 4 and in verse 13, James there talks about the idea of going into a town and spending an entire year there to trade and to make a profit. And I think that's maybe describing the idea of, of settling down and actually setting up a business, running a business, building a business, cultivating a business. That would be authorized. And why? Because everybody in that business has the opportunity to succeed and to do well in the services that the business renders. Those people benefit as well. Or how about in Matthew chapter 25? In Matthew 25, Jesus told the parable there of the talents. Sometimes that story kind of gets misused to talk about talents like abilities that we have. That's not what Jesus is talking about there. Jesus is talking about a unit of money there. And what did Jesus say to the various talent holders? A five-talent man, two-talent man, one-talent man? Well, when the five-talent man and the two-talent man came back, Jesus commended them because they had doubled their earnings. And then what did He say to the one-talent man? To the one-talent man, He rebuked him for not, at least at the very least, investing that talent, putting that to the bank, and then making a profit from that. Again, when you put that money in the bank, invest it in that way, nobody's getting hurt. The bank is able to, to benefit from those funds being in there. It benefits the bank. It benefits other people from the bank. And then, of course, I benefit from that as well. I'm able to then receive a payment, a payout. I get interest on that. And the truth of the matter is, we talk about investment. Somebody might think, you know, investment, that just seems like a lazy way to make money. But I'll tell you, investment requires a very different kind of work. You know what that's called? It's called patience. That's a really hard kind of work when you're doing investing. But once again, in that... Everybody wins. Everybody walks away happy. Everybody is able to be a winner. Nobody loses. And then I'd actually add even one more category to that list. Would you look in Acts 11? 
In Acts chapter 11, and in verse 29, talking here about some of the things that Christians did for one another, and we're actually seeing this a lot right now in our country. So many Christians have been affected by the hurricanes and the storms and the natural disasters that have happened. And what we're seeing is we're seeing, we're seeing Christians helping Christians. And in Acts chapter 11, we see that. Look in verse 29. That the disciples determined everyone, according to their ability, to send relief to the brothers that were living in Judea. I would argue from this passage and a whole host of others as well, that we can also acquire gain by just receiving a gift. Receiving a gift from someone, that is not the same as me and somebody else going into a bingo hall, each of us putting down $10 at the table, and then me walking out the door without my $10, but the other guy walking out with my $10 and everybody else's $10. That's not the same thing as receiving a gift. Because when I went in and put my $10 down, I wanted the money. And I sure didn't want that other guy to have the money. No, what I wanted is I wanted G22 and I couldn't get it. But now I've got to be happy. I've got to put on some kind of a fake smile that my friend got all the money and I didn't get the money. That is completely different from me coming to you and saying, Hey, here's $10. I just want you to have this. I want you to have this because I care about you. I want you to have this because I love you. I just want to do something nice for you. I just want to show you that I love you. I want to give you this gift. That's a gift, and that brings joy to everybody that's involved. And so I think as we kind of think about what the Bible shows us as far as authorized means of financial gain, this is really where we start to get some clarity with these issues. Because if it doesn't fit into one of those divinely given means of financial gain, I really think we need to just take a step back And we need to think long and hard about whether God's going to approve of me gaining money in this way. And I am compelled to say that most gaming gambling, it doesn't fit any of those categories. It's not going to fit any of those categories, at least not without violating principle number one about loving my neighbor. And that all then leads to this third principle this evening. I believe thirdly, Scripture teaches that gambling is going to be sinful if it promotes or if it is motivated by covetousness. And I really believe this is this is kind of the hard one. Because this is the one that requires you and I to be really honest with ourselves. You know, when we talk about covetousness, that's not a sin that's, that's always very, very visible and apparent. You know, if somebody tells a lie, I mean, it's, it's out there. Everybody knows that was a lie. You said it. I heard it. But with covetousness, we're talking about something that's a very inward kind of thing. Many times it kind of bubbles under the surface and it doesn't become apparent to others and it may not even become apparent to us until we're already knee-deep in it. Can I tell you a little story? And in some ways this will be, this will be a confession. My mom's here and this will be her first time hearing this. When I was a senior in high school, uh, a couple, me and a couple of my buddies, my buddy Jeff and my buddy Chucky, we came down to Somerset when the putt-putt course, I don't know if the putt-putt course is still open and operating, but we came down to the putt-putt course, and it was, I think it was Chucky's uh, bright idea, hey, how about we wager $2 a hole, we're going to do nine holes, how about we wager $2 a hole, who's up for that? And I kind of wrestled with that for a moment because, I mean, on the surface of me, I was like, well, that, that kind of sounds like gambling to me. 
And then after kind of hearing their arguments about that, no, that is not, it's not really gambling because, Josh, this is, this is based on skill. It's based on your, this isn't just completely left up to chance. This is based on your level of skill. You're the one in control here. And so I'm kind of thinking to myself, thinking about those different means of, of financial gain. Well, well, yeah, I'm using my abilities. This is basically just like work. I'm using the skills that I have, or in my case, the skills I did not have, but I'm using my abilities and, and, and then I'm going to just be a winner from all of this. Well, I wasn't a winner. I was terrible at putt-putt. We played nine holes, $2 a hole. That was, that was $18. Now, I, I, I don't know about you know inflation and so forth since 1998, but $18 back in 1998 to an 18-year-old, that was a lot of money. And I'll tell you, at the end of that game, Chucky's the one who won. I hated his guts. I was, I told him, I hate you. I didn't like him at all. And I rode home just stewing about that, thinking about that. And you know what I realized? I realized I wanted that money. I wanted to be the one who walked out of there with all that money in my pocket. And what I realized, and it took losing for me to realize this, I realized just how driven I was by covetousness. That's what was driving me there. And I do believe that if there's one thing in in all that I've said this evening, if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that covetousness is a sin. If you don't believe covetousness is a sin, would you raise your hand right now? That's what I thought. That's the one thing we can all absolutely agree on. Look with me in the Bible. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy 6, this might be the most famous passage about covetousness. It gets quoted a lot. Sometimes it gets misquoted, but we need to quote it correctly. 1 Timothy chapter 6, look in verse 10. In 1 Timothy 6 and verse 10, lots of people say that money is the root of all evil. Well, that's not what this verse says. Verse 10 does say, 1 Timothy 6.10, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I walked away from that putt-putt course that day feeling those many pangs. And why? It was covetousness. How about in 1 Corinthians? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I want you to think about this. You know, sometimes in our minds we, we kind of rank sins. You know, we've, it appears like you know, murder, rape incest, all these terrible sorts of sins. And then kind of down here at the bottom we put things like, you know, lying and things that lots of us do every day. And I think sometimes in our minds we just kind of put covetousness kind of down there at the bottom of that list. Well, look in 1 Corinthians 5. Look in verse 10. In 1 Corinthians 5 and in verse 10, Paul's giving some warnings here about sexually immoral people within the Lord's church. And he says in verse 10, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy Your translation might say the covetous and swindlers or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or covetousness or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. You know, we look at some of those other things that are mentioned there, talking there about a drunkard. Talked about drunkenness this morning. Everybody agrees, oh, that's sinful, that's awful, that's terrible. Or we're talking about sexual immorality or being an idolater. How many of us think about covetousness running around in the same exact company as those kinds of sins? That's how the Lord describes them. 
And then let me add to that in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, let's just get the words of our Lord Himself. In Luke 12 and in verse 15, Jesus gives this warning to a man. He had some people come up to Him and, you know, wanted to... He says to him, Teacher, you know, tell my brother to divide the, to divide the inheritance with me. I want to get my cut of the money. And Jesus then tells this parable about the rich fool. And then look in verse 15 what Jesus said. Jesus said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What I need to ask, as we think about gambling this evening, I need to ask, what is fueling my desires? Whether it's playing the lottery, buying that Powerball ticket, going into a casino and playing the roulette table, playing playing poker with my buddies, going to the putt-putt and doing the, the golf course, doing the $2 a whole thing. Why am I doing this? What is my desire by placing this bet? Why am I buying this ticket? In fact, even when it comes to acquiring our wealth in a lawful sort of way, I still need to ask, what's my motivation here? Is my motivation to be really, 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 really rich? Is my motivation so I can have all this stuff, have all these great earthly possessions? Covetousness is clearly condemned in Scripture. And if we are being honest, I believe that most, if not all, gambling is motivated by something that God has clearly defined as sinful. I fear, I don't know about you, but I fear covetousness. You know, it's, it's, I think it's easy to kind of be on my guard against sexual immorality or those kinds of very overt sorts of things. But those kinds of things that work inwardly, like covetousness and attitudes of heart, those scare me. Because it can be very easy for those things to creep in and me not to even really even notice. And so I fear that. And what I need to do is I need to minimize the presence of that in my life. I need to do as few things as possible that will bring that into my life. Covetousness helps us to understand when gambling is sinful. Now, those are three principles. I think there are others that we could have included, but... I'm going to say the same thing that I said this morning. I believe that's more than enough. I believe that's more than enough for a Christian to say, I should stay away from that stuff. Now, you may disagree with everything that I've presented tonight. And I'm going to say what I said this morning. That's okay. But what I'll ask you to do before jumping to any kind of conclusions, I'm going to ask you to think about these things, ponder and meditate upon them prayerfully, And then at the end of that, if you still are convinced, no, no, I'm okay. I can still go buy my lottery tickets. I can still go do all of that stuff. Then I'm going to ask you once again, I'm going to ask you, what about your influence? What about how you are influencing others? I asked this very question this morning as it pertains to drinking. Give all the scriptural arguments, but at the end of the day, I'm still going to ask, what about the influence that you are having on people like your children? What kind of influence are you having on your brothers and your sisters in Christ? What kind of influence does that have on people out in the world who are not even Christians? I need to think about that. I need to be very protective of my influence and not allow things that at best would be considered questionable to cause people to think the wrong things about Jesus Christ and about His followers. And by the way, me asking this question about influence, for me... 
That kind of answers the last one that I had put on this list, or it was the middle one. This middle one about buying a Little League raffle ticket, this was the one amongst all of the surveys. This was the one that got the most check marks in the middle column as being questionable. People were like, eh, I'm not really sure. And for me, that's kind of where I've always been. I'm just not really sure. I've kind of struggled with that. But what I've often thought about is I've often thought about if I go and I purchase a raffle ticket for a little league, and usually it's for a very good cause. You know, here's this team. They're trying to you know, get new uniforms or you know, doing something good for these kids. Uh, I've often wondered, you know, what if I win that? What if I win the big 70-inch television? And they want to then come and take my picture for the paper. And right there in the local paper it says, Local preacher at the Church of Christ wins a 70-inch television from the local raffle. That might not necessarily be sinful, but it makes me worry. What might other people think? How might that influence others who don't know me? Others who don't know what the Lord's church is all about? Others who don't know what the Bible teaches? And so that's how I've answered that. You may answer that one differently. I don't know. I've actually just decided when they come and they ask me for uh, for money for a raffle ticket, I say, here, just just take this money. Don't put my I don't want a ticket. Just have the money and you put that to use for for getting your uniforms or whatever. So there's going to be some area here where you're going to have to decide for yourself. And I'm going to have to decide for me. Romans 14 talks about how we are all going to have to stand before the Lord individually. I'm not going to answer for you. You're not going to answer for me. I will answer only for Josh McKibben. And so what I need to always be doing is I need to just go right back to where we started in Ephesians 5 verse 10. I need to always be trying to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If I will make that my life's aim, whether it's with the subject of alcohol, whether it's with this subject of gambling, or any other issue that we struggle and wrestle with daily, I believe the Lord will help us through His Word, through His people, to come to a greater understanding and have clarity so that we can please Him in all things. In just a moment, we're going to sing Song of Invitation. I think it's the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. We sure would hope that that would be the decision that you have come to this evening. We have not talked today about matters of salvation, matters of uh, what we do to rectify the problem of sin. We've not talked about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But I am looking across the room, and for most people that are sitting in here, I am confident in saying, you've heard those things. You know those things. You have probably even already decided in your mind about those things. What differentiates some of us in this crowd from the rest of us is that many of us have already decided about that. We've made that decision to follow Jesus. The rest of you have not. So that's why we extend heaven's invitation right now to give you the opportunity to commit your life to Jesus the Christ. You can do that tonight by repenting of your sins, confessing faith in Jesus as Lord, and then being baptized in water for the remission of any and every sin. Can we help somebody to do that tonight? Brother or sister, it may be that sin has crept back into your life. You got started on that way once upon a time, but things just haven't been going the way that they ought to. Repent. Ask God for forgiveness. Let us encourage you and strengthen you in the Lord so that you can serve God in a better way from this day forward. Let's all try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then once we've discerned what is pleasing to the Lord, let's do it. Let's do that right now while we stand and while we sing.